0: Hi there, it's me, Josh, and for SYSK Selects this week, I've chosen what was the most peaceful time in history, which originally came out in March 2013. Um, There's a big discussion about Steven Pinker, and uh, if this kind of thing floats your boat, check out Reality Denial, Steven Pinker's Apologetics for Western Imperial Violence, uh, which was a Public Intellectuals Project article. Makes kind of a good companion piece to this episode. At any rate, enjoy it; it's a good one.
1: Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com.
0: Hi, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. We're being very professional and this is stuff you should know are we i just decided
1: you know all we're saying josh is give peace a chance
0: who says that me and john Lennon. nice
1: and you know the follow-up i think to that line was if it doesn't work out kill someone
0: but then he yoko said you should take that part out thank god for yoko <laughs> yeah that's what i always say hmm. um Well, I think that was a nice little intro, Chuck. I just made it up. (laughs) That was off the cuff? Clearly on the fly. Um, Have you ever heard of the uh, group Vision of Humanity? I have. I wonder where groups like this get their cash, because this is kind of, um, I mean, they, they make a social statement, but how are they, are they selling ads on their annual report? What's going on here? I don't know. They may be an NGO, I guess. I mean, I'm sure they are. I think it's valuable research. I agree because it brings into focus, like, you know, what we're going toward. I should say, what they do is they, they use an, uh, 23 different indicators and uh, crunch some numbers from all over the world to determine what is the most peaceful countries on earth. Yeah. And it's fairly predictable, the top and the bottom. Yeah, sort of. What I, were you was, surprised by? Did you well, look at 2012s? Yeah. Okay.
1: We'll go ahead and go over the top and bottom 10. And then we'll talk about surprises. Okay. How does that sound? <laughs> it sounds delicious. The number one most peaceful country uh, was Iceland. Yeah. And then you got Denmark, New Zealand, Canada, Japan, Austria, Ireland, Slovenia, Finland, and Switzerland are the top 10 most peaceful countries. I could have guessed all of those. Maybe not Austria. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, dude, they're like super chill, very peaceful people. Gotcha. <laughs> Anything in Western Europe, basically, is very peaceful these um, days.
0: Yeah, I mean, Western Europe typically is very peaceful, but it's I... It's the
1: most peaceful region, according to this list, in the world.
0: I, I'm I'm just a little... Out of... Okay. But I feel like I would that, that ironic, be though. surprised by one. Yeah. Okay. So I picked Austria. All right. I was surprised by... Oh, I'll, I'll
1: go with Slovenia.
0: Yeah, I don't know much about Slovenia. That's so why I'm surprised. Yeah. So the worst
1: is Somalia, Uh and then uh, Afghanistan, Sudan, Iraq, uh,
0: Republic of Congo. Here's where I was surprised. Russia. I was too. Russia is just slightly better than Congo as far as peaceful countries go. Yeah, and slightly
1: worse than North Korea, uh, than the Central African Republic, and then Israel, and then Pakistan is the 10th worst.
0: I was also surprised by Israel, and then once I thought about it, I was like, man, that really stinks.
1: Yeah. I was surprised by Russia. Yeah, I was too. And um, this one tends to fluctuate a little bit more, depending on these little civil wars that crop up in some of these countries. Mm-hmm. Um, because, like a place like Syria, had the biggest fall; they fell thirty places in a year. And well, then Sri Lanka rose thirty places because their civil war ended.
0: Right. So, oh yeah, man! If you want to like change big time in this rating, start or finish a civil war. <laughs> That's thirty true. points right there, one yeah. way or the other. Um. So, yeah, I think the United States tends to rank pretty much somewhere in the middle, usually in about the 80s. Yeah, we were 88. Um, and the U.K. was 29, just to, you know,
1: that's another notable.
0: That is very notable
1: country or region.
0: Uh, and you could probably guess one of the things that uh, one of the reasons why the U.K. is higher than the United States is because I think one of the indicators has to do with access to guns, a.k.a. ease of access to weapons of minor destruction. Yeah. UK's access to guns is far more restricted. Um, number of jailed inmates yeah. per 100,000 people. Uh, military capability. Hey, <laughs> U.S. has got that in aces. Yeah, well, so does England, though. Uh, a potential for terrorist acts. Yeah. I take that to mean like uh, maybe being a target for it. Uh, that's what I took it as. Yeah. And then some of the other indicators they
1: use are number of homicides per 100,000 people. Um, how you get along with your neighbors, country-wise. Right. Um, number of deaths from organized conflict, uh, respect for human uh, rights, mm-hmm. and number of heavy weapons. So not just guns and things, but uh, scud missiles and the right. like, bunker busters.
0: That's the Global Peace Index. And again, it's Vision of Humanity and NGOs... Um, annual data that they crunch together which is pretty sweet and that was there's just like a little um, cheat sheet that we were working off of but there's a whole publication that really goes into depth if, if you're interested and they pretty much have a lock on what the most peaceful country in the world is yeah but the question still remains what is the most peaceful time in history a lot of people ask that yeah and there's been several candidates um Probably the, the the most readily identified is the pax Romana yeah which means the Roman peace this gets a lot of press at least yeah um, thanks to uh, a seven I'm sorry an 18th century historian named Edward Gibbon who wrote the history of the decline and fall of the Roman Empire pretty light reading yeah I'm sure um, and uh, Gibbon was the first to really say hey there's this thing called the Pax Romana, or he's the first one to popularly write about it and actually try to date this period. It was about 150 years. And it started, um, what was it, 180 years, I'm sorry.
1: Yeah, well, they rounded up to 200.
0: Yeah, 200 years, thanks, man. He
1: puts it at 27 B.C. is the beginning, when uh, Octavian, who was uh, Gaius Julius Caesar Augustus, mm-hmm. the great-nephew of the Stabbed One, Julius Caesar... Right. And he was like, you know what? I'm in office now and I'll know what all we've always done is just conquer, conquer, <laughs> conquer, conquer, conquer and spread the empire. We got enough junk now. Can we work on our, what we have and just like quit conquering mm-hmm. and work on our infrastructure and just being more peaceful and getting along within our own,
0: uh, Land bounds, right? Making our people happy. Yeah, we've got a bunch of people. Let's start focusing on them. And exactly. it actually had a really big impact. The popular rebellions dropped off pretty quickly Didn't in the vanish. Roman Empire. No, they point out. But they, I get the impression that they were a lot more frequent and widespread than they were during the Pax Romana. Yeah, um, there there are these things called the um, Gates of Janus. And they were yeah. built by the second emperor of Rome. Uh, I can't remember his name. Yeah, I looked it up too. I can't remember. He, uh, he built these things and left them open. And while they were open, somebody noticed like Rome was at peace. And then another emperor later on closed them and Rome was at war. And these gates would stay open or closed for hundreds of years at a stretch. Mostly open for hundreds of years at a stretch. Because they were always at war. Yeah. And they became the symbolic... Um, I guess, kind of indicator of how Rome was doing right then as far as war and peace went. Yeah. And so during the Pex Romana, the gates of Janus were ceremonially closed and stayed closed for a couple hundred years, which is a big deal. Yeah, it was opposite of how I thought it would be. I
1: thought you would close them during times of war. But, um,
0: I I couldn't get to the bottom of what it really symbolic. meant. It, it was definitely symbolic, but uh, is it symbolic of Rome had troops out there that they needed to leave the gates open for? Oh uh, maybe that would. Or make if sense. the gates were closed, Rome was focusing inward rather than outward. See, you thought more much more about it. I just thought if you're a war man, you better close the gates. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you could, guys could come in exactly. Um, there was also something called the uh, Ara Pacis, the altar of peace, that mm-hmm. was built during this time as well. Yeah. And then the whole thing came to an end thanks to a guy named uh, Commodus.
1: Yeah, who was more into conquering.
0: Yeah, he was Marcus Aurelius' son. And Marcus Aurelius was a really great general. We should say um, during this time, during the Pax Romana, like you said, there were still some popular rebellions. Yeah. Um, there was one in Hispania, mm-hmm. which is now modern-day Spain and Portugal. Um, there was uh, there's a border between the Roman Empire and Germania, which is uh, modern-day Germania. Um, and then, uh, also during the Pax Romana, Rome invaded England and subjugated it. So uh, depending on who you were, the Pax Romana could have been very violent. You may have come to a violent end, but if you're, if you look at the Roman empire as a whole, this was a very peaceful time and Rome was pretty much running the world at the time. So this, you could say was the most peaceful time in world history.
1: I think compared to how Rome usually was, it was pretty peaceful. Yeah. But it wasn't all like you said, daisies and uh, honeybees. Did you know? <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea where I was going. Did then. you? That was good where yeah. you ended daisies up. Daisies and honeybees. Yeah.
0: did you know you know a vomitorium yeah that it's that's a popular misconception
1: oh really is that not true
0: no um romans actually didn't really use feathers to vomit up their meals it a vomitorium was a like a a place of ingress and egress into um like a, a forum or a coliseum or something like that huh it's basically the place where everybody walked in and they called it the vomitorium so all those stories about uh eating to excess binging and purging are not true uh, as far as I know, the purging part is a misconception. Interesting. Yeah. They definitely went to excess, especially followers of Bacchus. Yeah. I mean, can you believe that? Like,
1: could you imagine? I'm just going to eat so much like lamb and beef and drink mead till I can't move. And then I'll throw it all up and I'll do it all over again. Right.
0: And uh, that'll honor the God that I follow, which is why I follow this. Have god. sex
1: with like 18 people at once. That's right. Ancient Rome, man. That place was a party. Roddy McDowell, huh? (laughs) Yeah, and Helen Mirren, a young... Was she in that? Yeah, she was in it and naked. Crazy. Quite a bit. I never saw it. Caligula? Yeah. It's really not very good. It's long. Plot-wise? Well, it's just long and dull and you, you expect way more than you get as far as like when I was a kid, Caligula was like the dirtiest thing ever. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. And then you watch it now and you're like, oh, God, what a bore. Is that right? It's like, clash of the titans without the good fighting without and, pants yeah <laughs> um oh, you're jaded brian uncle ligula <laughs> i am um all right so that is the Pax romana we we put it up for consideration and we're striking it down that's N- the sound negative.
0: of it being stricken down
1: up next we have uh a time that you might not think was the most peaceful mm-hmm. and that was the time of genghis khan what Genghis Khan, who we've talked about murdering, what like a million people? 1.8 million people in an in hour. hour. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we put that one to rest. Yes, we did. Um, but-, but he did. We should probably go over it real quick. The reason he was he was known for killing 1.8 million people in an hour is because in just one particular city, Nishapur, he had his people sack it. Yeah, and then he went in and said, "Cut everyone's head off and stack it into a giant pyramid." Everybody's man, woman, child, baby, dog. You got your head cut off and stacked. That was Genghis Khan's orders. Genghis? That's how you say it. Okay. I saw the, the thing at um, Fernbank. They kept saying Genghis Khan, so that's how I'm saying it.
1: Not Genghis? No. Okay. Genghis. Well, I'm going to go with Genghis Khan. <laughs> Genghis Khan.
0: Genghis. All
1: right. So, sure, there was a lot of conquering of peoples. Yeah. When you are bringing together the the Mongol hordes. You got to do some killing. But apparently once all the killing was accomplished or not all of it, but enough of it, he was like, you know what? I think now we really need to like take care of folks.
0: Yeah. Kind of like. And protect people. Kind of like when, uh, who started the Pax Romana? Uh,
1: the great nephew of Octavia. Yeah.
0: Octavius. Octavius. Yeah. Uh, it was, it was very much like, okay, you're under our control now, which means you're now protected by our laws. Which was good for a lot of people, yeah. especially the Mongol hordes that he uh, he basically brought under his um, his kingdom, Shield? I guess, kingship, yeah. whatever. Um, and some of the some of the innovations that uh, Genghis Khan uh, came up with were things like freedom of religion, what? Yeah, yeah. women's rights. Um, he devised a postal system. Not the first, but he devised a postal system.
1: Yeah, sort of like uh, the Pony Express that we talked about. They had stations mm-hmm. and horses, and they would go from station to
0: station delivering mail. And if you listen to the Postal Service episode, you know that that is something that is intended to create culture yeah, and sure. spread information, share information easily. Um, Kublai Khan, 200 years after Genghis Khan, uh, he s- established a system of printing presses two hundred years before Gutenberg, a sublicon. it's uh, it's pronounced. <laughs> <subla>. <laughs> um, there, so there is a lot of really great innovations as far as like promoting individual and human rights. Um, and they they protected these things using really, really strict punishment, uh, so much so that there's a, a very old legend that a woman or I saying love this legend. that a woman could walk from one end of the Mongol Empire. To the other, about a million square miles, yeah. holding a sack of gold, and be just completely left alone. That's awesome. It is because there was a lot of you were you were going to be punished pretty severely, but a lot of people would point out uh, if the state doles out capital punishment or yeah. physical punishment pretty easy, pretty strictly, and mm-hmm. can you say that's very peaceful?
1: Yeah, and can you say it's peaceful even though, like, millions of people potentially were killed in order to establish that that huge area of land? You know? Yeah. I mean, I guess afterward maybe, but we're going to say no on Genghis Khan. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so no to the Pax Romana, no to Genghis Khan's uh, Mongol Empire founded around 1200 uh, AD. When then, Chuck? I am going to put up a vote. Along with our
1: buddy, uh, Stephen Pinker, mm-hmm. that says, right now, my friend, are the most peaceful times in world history.
0: Man, that is crazy, Chuck, because think about it. in the 20th century, we had two world wars, countless civil wars. Yeah. Um, we've had genocides.
1: Yep. Terrorism.
0: We've had a lot of um, uh, lynchings. Sure. Lots and lots of death, like... Violence, like, how can you call it peace Homicide, yeah. patricide, matricide. Yeah. Brother and sister side. Mm-hmm. That's, a fil- filicide. Is it? I think so.
1: Okay. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of killing going on, but, uh, evolutionary, uh, psychologist Steven Finker, who I think we talked about before, haven't we? That's not really familiar.
0: Yeah, we have, uh, we talked about him in, um, emotion and art. He said that music right. is auditory cheesecake. That's right. Yeah. Um,
1: he said, you know what? Things seem violent now for several reasons. One reason is because of media coverage, and you hear about everything, and you're inundated with it. Right. So it's going to, you know, if you watch the evening news, it's violence upon violence upon violence. Right. He says, if you go to the hunter-gatherer days where you think they're all just out hunting and gathering, 20 to 60 percent of the men died at the hands of violence. Yeah. Compared to 2 percent of men today dying at the hands of violence
0: uh, during the 20th century. Yeah, which even is even with all the wars, yeah, all the genocides a lot more
1: people, a lot more dudes, of course. So take that into account, but compared to like the middle ages and and times like that, much much more peaceful and less
0: violent today. He makes the uh point that uh Hobbes, Thomas Hobbes, yeah, not Calvin Hobbes, right. which is what I always want to say. Um, he that he was correct in his whole idea that life was brutish brutish nasty and short yeah before government um, and that he points to times of like anarchy or a failed state like in Guinea-Bissau yeah. or Somalia where you have huge escalations of violence and he said the rise of the state and the state monopoly on violence which means like the state's the only one that can execute somebody yeah um, has Created this way for people to re- to get redress for wrongs against them. Yeah, and it's go stable, to court at least, and the government does it for you. You don't yeah. have to go kill that man, and then he doesn't come kill your family, and and blah blah right. blah, and back and forth. Um, so that was one thing, one reason um, why we've gotten more peaceful.
1: Uh, yeah, he he thinks uh, technology, um, which makes a lot of sense, has a lot to do with it because we are connected now, like we never have been in world history, and connected to other countries and and I think people and this is me talking I think people fear what they don't understand right and there is a better understanding now than there ever has been sure. so there's not as much fear and people oftentimes react uh, from fear with violence
0: yeah and what a guy named uh, Peter singer came up with is called the expanding circle uh-huh. it was it initially started with um, you know our your family and then clans, tribes, whatever. And as we got bigger and bigger and societies got bigger and bigger, uh, this circle of who was okay in our book right, um, expanded more and more until it was like one culture warring with one culture. Yeah. But then as we came to understand other cultures a little better, that circle got bigger and bigger until now, not only does it include um, basically all humans, but other species of animals as well. Like, they're okay. Maybe we shouldn't kill, maybe we shouldn't eat octopi. Right. You know, because they're intelligent and we know they're intelligent because we understand them a little more. We've we've gotten closer to them. We've been hugged by them. That's a good point.
1: And he goes on. uh, Pinker does to talk about healthcare. It's sort of along those same lines. Not only can are we better at saving people, but it also has given us more value about saving people. And just the notion of saving human lives through medicine has increased or decreased violence.
0: And that one kind of like didn't quite click with me. It seems Not like super for me. Either. If you're gonna die at 30 or 35, that would make life even with no chance of reviving you. If like you like fell in a, a, a puddle, yeah, Um, that would make life more valuable in that sense. Whereas like if. People are walking around like, well, a doctor could probably fix him if I hit him over the head with this lead pipe. <laughs> it might make people a little more prone to use a lead pipe on somebody. I don't know that lead pipe hitters think about that stuff. Well, but think about this: like, let's say we got to the point where you had a 99% chance of being fully revived and restored within a couple of days of yeah. after being shot. Yeah, that medicine advances to that point. Uh, I'd be shooting people all over the place. <laughs> exactly. So that's my point. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, it yeah. seems like. That seems counterintuitive to me, and I've been trying to wrap my mind around it. And I'm also really worried that I've just given my, myself away as like a complete sociopath somehow <laughs> no. by not understanding that. You know, no, that one didn't hit as home as much with me either. Uh, I also want to say too, with the government monopoly on violence. Um, yes, the government used to have a monopoly on violence in other ages as well. Yeah, but that wasn't um, that didn't have the companion of protecting. Individual and human rights like we have today. Right. To where it's not just like, yeah, kill them for, you know, next to nothing. Yeah. Like Pinker points out that during the Middle Ages when, um, violence peaked in, by his estimation, um, like you, stuff that we would, a government would find someone for today, yeah. you would be killed for. Yeah, that's a good point.
1: Right. Uh, he also makes some good points about things like the United Nations, like the cooperation between countries these days. Is unparalleled. Mm -hmm. Uh, The EU um, sharing responsibility for international conflicts, like teaming up with other countries to go, you know, peacekeep, I guess, or conquer, depending on which way you want to look at it. (laughs) Um, Common currency, I guess it was a lot more violent back in the day when you had everyone trading different things well sure common currency would sort of bind people together
0: yeah at the very least different currencies maybe promote a sense of otherness too you know yeah in group out group stuff I took an anthropology class once I don't know if I've talked about it before it was the first one I ever took great class and the the um, instructor uh, challenged the class to go a full day without using any in group or out group language like us them we they wow I bet that's tough it's impossible yeah you can't do it but just paying attention to it trying just for a day really kind of brings out how much you see other people and other groups is different and other right and, and and that's not necessarily a good thing no i would i I would like to strive to be more open-minded and inclusive like that i i, I would say try that then yeah i think everyone should though i i, I agree <laughs> you got anything else no, there's a pretty cool thing um, called Steven Pinker on the Decline of Violence um, by Ethan Zuckerman. I can't remember the name of the site it was on, but if you search that, it'll bring it up. It's from 2007, and it sounds like Steven Pinker was like preparing his notes for uh, Angels of Our Better Nature, that book he came out with where he argues right. what we just talked about. That's um, a pretty cool little primer, a little brief rundown of it. Yeah, I love Pinker. And if you want to read this article... Um, you should. <laughs> you can type in uh, Peaceful History in the search bar at com, and it will bring it up. Uh, and I said search bar, which means it's time for a word from our sponsor. It is time for a listener
1: mail. All right. We're going to call this uh, more on condoms in New York because you just can't get enough of that. Apparently. Uh, in one of our podcasts, we talked about the fact that you find condoms just playing around on the street in New York. And I was kind of like, where are those coming from? And we had one dude write in that worked for the ferry, I think, that all that stuff gets washed out down there. Yeah. And what do they call them? The,
0: uh. uh oh, Coney, Coney Island S- white snakes or something? <laughs> I don't think it was white Coney fish. Island, like. Whitefish? Yeah, I think whitefish.
1: White snake, yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, uh this, uh, this guy, Aaron, listened to that and he has a theory here. Um, about New Yorkers. Generally, we tend to engage in otherwise private behavior in public. Uh, for many of us, privacy is hard to come by. Remember, this was the birthplace of the tenement the whole family is living in one room unfortunately for some this remains a reality for most people however even living with one's family in separate rooms or roommates in a cramped apartment means little privacy Uh, going outside doesn't help Uh, it might in the suburbs but here in new york there are always people walking around everywhere all the time once in a while i will see if i can find a place where there's no one around and no one can see me and it's pretty tough So people adapt to this reality by blocking out reality, so to speak, pretending as if no one is around. That's why New York has a reputation for having a lot of crazy people, because a lot of us talk and sing and laugh and gesture to ourselves. Uh, I believe this goes on all across the country, it's just that everyone else does it behind closed doors. I like what he's saying here, by the way. I totally agree. Yeah. So while some people merely talk to themselves in public, a few people engage in more vulgar behavior, from picking one's nose all the way to having sex. Not only have I witnessed three separate acts of public sex in my youth, I engaged in public sex three times. All of these acts, witnessed and engaged in, occurred in public parks, and all except one occurred during the daytime. Personally, I remember trying to minimize the chances of being seen somewhat, but not too hard. If someone saw, they would be unlikely to A, know me or my girlfriend, or B, do anything but ignore it and keep on walking, which is the great thing about New York. (laughs) You can really do anything and you'll be completely ignored because no one wants any part of that you know <laughs> right. uh, so that is exactly what I did guys um, as a witness I hope this helps explain why your chances of stepping on a used condom while out on a stroll is higher in New York City than anywhere else in the country it is certainly the wrong way to dispose of condoms to be sure <laughs> and that's because we're a bunch of self-centered selfish people for whom littering is a way of life please don't judge us for our public sex Aaron <laughs> I liked Aaron
0: Thanks, Aaron. What a uh, level-headed approach to explaining things. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I like that sort
1: of armchair uh, psychology about stuff like that.
0: Yeah, that was armchair Dr. Ruthen. Yeah. You know? That's all I got about that one. Good for you, Aaron. Uh, If you want to explain something that uh, we've talked about and couldn't quite get to the bottom to, we're always happy to uh, cross all of our T's and dot our I's, if you will. Um, you can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can join us on Facebook.com slash know, And uh, you can send us an email at StuffPodcast at Discovery.com. But wait, you should first also join us on our website. Our website, Chuck. Yeah, lots of cool stuff there. It's called stuffyushouldknow.com.
1: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.